We started uh, 2020 with a series called The Future You, where we looked at two questions. The two questions were, who will I be in five years if I continue down the path that I'm on, and who do I want to be in five years? Those are the two questions. That's it. And, you know, if you don't like where you're headed on the path that you're on right now, now's the time to make the change. You with me? Now's the time to make the change. Now, this series kind of plays off of that uh, future you series. It's not complicated because in this series, we take a practical look at some key goals that we need to set. Every Christian should set. And these goals, if we set them and we follow through with them, they're going to help us become more like Jesus than we've ever been before. Last week, we looked at the goal of biblical engagement, of just being involved in Scripture on a regular basis so that when we, every day, we read the Bible and we reflect on it, every day. And we're doing a 2020 through the Word, and we're reading through the New Testament this year, and I invite, last week, I invite you this week to join us in it. Uh, Today was Acts 23, you can go to um, ncclex.info, Click on the 2020 in the Word, and you, you'll get the reading plan there. And uh, I hope you'll join us in that. <clears throat> Today, I want to examine another goal that I want to encourage every follower of Jesus to set. And that goal, when you see that goal, you set it and you see it through over the course of five years, you'll not only make a huge difference in the lives of people, but I think God will change you. I think you'll become more like Christ in the process. And what you will find is that setting this goal and following it through to completion is not that complicated. It's not. I want to tell you a story about a guy by the name of Bill Leslie. Bill Leslie was in his middle ages. Here's a picture of him as a young man. But middle age, he became like a lot of us. A little bit overweight, talks a little bit too loud, and laughed robustly at his own jokes. Somebody said that you might be surprised to know that Bill Leslie was the minister for 28 years of the renowned Chicago LaSalle Street Church, famous church in Chicago. Bill served there for 28 years, but in 1968, he felt like God spoke to him in a way that caused him to make a radical change. He moved from the suburbs of Wheaton, Illinois, into the Cabrini Green housing project of Chicago. Cabrini Green was not far from where the LaSalle Street Church was located. And he just felt like God was saying, move there, move there. Now, the average income in Cabrini Green in 1968 was under $3,000 a year. The, uh, The unemployment rate in Cabrini Green was 86%. During the summer months there in that project, somebody in the neighborhood was shot on the average of once every other day, and Bill saw that as a real problem. He wanted to do something to keep these young people safe. So the church started a number of recreation programs to keep the young people off the streets and to keep them out of danger. But it wasn't just the young people that caught his attention Other needs continued to appear. There was a government study that caught his eye that reported that a third of all dog and cat food was being bought by senior citizens in this area to provide food for them because they couldn't afford what they called people food. They were actually eating pet food. 
Well, Bill went into mo- put into motion the, a ministry to seniors in that area because he didn't want any of those folks not having real food to eat. Bill Leslie was considered the most unlikely pioneer in Cabrini Green. He was disheveled, often seen as disorganized. He would forget appointments. Or when he did remember an appointment, he would go to the wrong location. Hardly a promising candidate to spur on economic change or racial reconciliation in this part of Chicago. But Bill had a tremendous impact in redeeming communities as well as individual souls. Three decades nearly in the inner city took a real toll on Bill Leslie. He never did learn to say no, which is probably why he died of an unexpected heart attack at the age of 60. And the LaSalle Street Church, as well as numerous other people in the city of Chicago, grieved the loss of Bill Leslie. Bill understood something really important that they valued tremendously. Bill understood the grace of God and how to show it to other people. How, he, how to show it to other people by serving them. Many of those people were people who the world had basically forgotten about. You see, Bill Leslie didn't fit in Cabrini Green, except for one thing. You always fit when you love people like Bill Leslie. Love the people of Cabrini Green. I got through it in the first service, but I didn't hear, sorry. Here's the key point I want us to ponder today. Loving others is best seen by serving them. Loving others is best seen by serving them. Paul talked about this in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. If you have your Bible and you want to turn there, or your, your device and you want to follow along, we're going to look at a few verses there this morning. One thing about Paul's letters that I think is kind of interesting is that he's always talking, he has two sections in every letter. The first part talks about doctrine that every Christian should know and practice. And then he talks about the second part, the duty or the responsibility that every Christian has. And he does that. The first three chapters of Ephesians focus on doctrine, and then the last three chapters focus on our responsibilities. And this is what he says in Ephesians 4, verse 1. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. As a prisoner for the Lord, he refers to himself as a prisoner for the Lord, and he's not showboating. He's not being dramatic here by saying, hey, I'm chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, and I'm chained here in Rome as I write this, waiting, just waiting to find out the results, the verdict of my trial, whether or not I'm going to live or whether I'm going to be put to death. He doesn't write it for that reason. But it is a good reminder to all of us who are readers of the Apostle Paul to recognize the fact that this guy has earned the right to be heard. Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner for the Lord there, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The word urge is an interesting word because it's changed since the time that Paul used it, it originally meant to call to one side. 
The kind of appeal is not a command to go and do something. This appeal was often an inspiring call into action, to come join the forces of the one who is writing or the one who is speaking, to do something significant. It was often an inspiring call to action in public uh, service or military service. Paul's urging them in the first century, as well as us today, to live a life worthy of your calling. Why is, it, why is this calling that Paul's talking about so much more significant? Because God has called you to this. And he wants you to recognize the fact that there's something significant when God calls, that there's something significant. And that you and I should live up to that standard. That's the highest standard of all, the standard of God. And none of us will be perfect like him, but we should, we should live our lives in such a way, he says, worthy of that calling. Give it your best. What Paul's urging is that his readers recognize the purpose that God has called them to and then live their lives accordingly. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Worthy it refers to the high standard to which you and I as Christians should live our lives. To be content with anything else would be unworthy. We should give God our best. He deserves our very best. God gave the Colossians a similar admonition in Colossians 3, 23. He said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Live the life that you've been given for the Lord. Whatever it is you're called to do vocationally, whatever it is, live it for the Lord. Whatever it is God calls you to do within the context of ministry, and there may be overlap between your vocation and ministry, that's okay, but whatever it is, live it to, worthy of the high calling that God has called you to. Whatever he calls you to do, do it with all your heart. Live worthy of your calling. Well, in this text, we're going to see in chapter 4, there's a couple references that Paul makes that I think are pretty significant. And they give us some insight into this whole context of Christians serving. The first one is this. When we serve, serve the Lord. Whatever the task is, See it as though you're serving the Lord. And, and I want to remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 25. He said, if you've done it unto the least of these brothers of mine, he's talking about all these different forms of service. He said, you've done it unto me. So in essence, whenever you serve in the name of Christ and you're serving others, you're actually serving the Lord. Never forget that. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4, 7. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. But to each one of us, the first part of that verse, Paul's talking about each of us taking our individual positions of service. You know, God has kind of penciled in a lineup up in heaven. He's got a spot for every one of us. And Paul's saying, but to each one of us, you know, we should assume our positions of service. This is important because the individual functions of each church member, each body, member of the body of Christ, enhance the body of Christ. They enhance the church and the impact that it can make. He goes on, he says, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. The ability of each of us who are part of the church to perform our assigned service. If he's got us playing at third base, batting fourth, well then we need to show up. 
And we need, to, we need to perform the best we can in our role, whatever that is. And it's described in the words, grace has been given. This grace, it involves a ministry, responsibility. And every follower of Jesus has one of those responsibilities. We get that from Paul's analogy in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. He talks about how the, how the church is like a body. He says each of these parts has a specific function. So the foot is made for walking, right? And the hands are made for holding or grasping things. The eye for seeing, the the nose for, for smelling, the ears for hearing. We who are part of the church are equipped. We've been, we've been, he's penciled us in to function as the church. So we should do our best. We're not going to be perfect. In fact, around here, there's not an expectation that you'd be perfect. But you should do your best to live worthy of the calling that you've received. Serve in the church and with the church for the glory of God. Everyone has a role. Everyone's role is important. Never forget that. When you serve, serve as if you're serving the Lord himself. Tom Rainer in his book, I Am a Church Member, writes, one of the ongoing questions you should ask yourself and God in prayer is, how can I best serve my church? You should never ask yourself if you should be serving your church. If you are a member, you must be a functioning member. It's just that simple, Rainer says. Which leads us to the second fact about Christian serving. It takes all of us. It takes all of us to accomplish the purposes that God has, and he wants to see come to fruition, come to reality in, here, in the 40509, or what we affectionately refer to as Hamburg. Every disciple has a role to play. But what happens if you don't show up and you're slated to play third? There's a hole on the team. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4.16. He says, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The human body works best, Paul says, when each part does its work. When all of us do our part. This is a continual process. From disciples who are unified in the cause, we know that because he says they're joined and held together, which means they agreeably fit together. They're all in agreement. This is what we need to do. We need to be in agreement. And he says, just as hands and feet are connected to the body by joints and ligaments, we're all united in this body, and we're all working for a common purpose. But what if we aren't joined together? Anybody ever suffer a torn ACL? And then you try to walk or you try to run, and what happens? This leg does not work right. It has a mind all of its own. Or maybe you've had an inner ear infection or some kind of blockage in there, and all of a sudden you find your balance has abandoned you. Or maybe you had carpal tunnel syndrome, and you realize that your hands no longer seem to want to work the right way. The body clearly is at its best when all the parts agreeably fit together and are doing their jobs together. As each part does its work, the last part of that verse, the key to godly growth that accomplishes the purposes of Jesus for every part of the body 
to function together. The leadership can't do it all by themselves. I mean, we can't hire enough people to do that. We can't have all of the paid staff do all of the work while all of the disciples just sit back and watch what happens when one person doesn't show up, somebody doesn't get involved, or they stop serving. Several things can happen. It's possible that everyone pitches together. They all kind of rally around it, and they cover for the missing person. That happens. But it's also possible that everyone comes together and covers, but then they run out of people, and something happens where something doesn't get done or things don't get done well. Even though everyone intended for that spot to get covered, it just didn't. If people have to cover for others or have to take on too many responsibilities in order for things to get done, they run the risk of burning out and now you've compounded your problem. We can't let that happen here. We just can't. I wanna tell you about two key ministry areas that need lots of people and yet require very little training. Some of you are going, hey, I, don't, I never went to Bible college. I don't know a lot about the Bible. And these are perfect examples for where you could fit. In fact, all of us should probably consider signing up for one of these two areas. The first one is children's ministry. One of the best ways to love people of any age is to bless their kids. Think about that for a second. Do you know one of our ministry objectives around here is to try to connect and minister to the next generation? And millennials around here are, they make up a huge segment of the 40509. It's the second youngest zip code in all of Lexington. And these millennials are now having kids. They're having babies and raising children. And think about it. We have a tremendous opportunity to serve them through our children's ministry. Imagine one of those moms comes on a Sunday, maybe by herself, her husband doesn't come, maybe she's a single mom, and she comes in here to worship, but she has a toddler and a baby in tow, and somebody greets her in the hallway and says, hey, you should check out our children's ministry, and she says, an hour without my kids, this is a miracle-making place. So she smiles, back at the volunteer who smiled at her, and this lady takes her and her children and gets them signed up and dropped off at their appropriate classrooms. She's impressed by the incredible artwork throughout the children's ministry, and she's comforted by the intentionality given to security. And then she slips into the worship service in a back couple rows just minutes after it started. Over the next hour, she's able to explore what it means to follow God and have a relationship with him. Over the next several months, she'll go through that same routine one or two times a month. That's the best she can do. But during that time, she's gonna learn about how much God loves her, how important she is to him, how he forgives her sins and gives people hope. And one day it, it dawned on her that's the thing that's been missing in her life was hope. She will eventually accept Jesus one day as her Lord and Savior, all because the possibility was made possible 
because of this team of volunteers right across the hall who hold babies, teach kids, secure entryways, and help check new families in. And if that army of servants isn't there, this mom would be in this worship service wrestling with two kids, and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a very enjoyable experience for her or for some of you. And the truth is, it's unlikely that she'd ever have any kind of encounter with God. So to those of you that serve, I want to tell you how much I'm grateful for you. On behalf of all of the leadership of our children's ministry team and myself, I just want to tell you thank you. You may say, oh, I'm going to just do a door once a month or something like that. It may not seem like a big deal, but it makes stories like this possible. Well, there's a second area that's easy to serve in. It's called guest services. And this is way easier than children's ministry. See, children's ministry, you have to pass a background check. But in guest services, you can be a convicted felon, and we will use you if you could show up on time and smile, okay? Now, we would love for you to have done your time and dependence to society. But even then, we'll negotiate with you, okay? Truly, the main requirements for this team member at guest services is that you would show up on time, and be friendly. I had a friend of mine who I met when I first came to Lexington. Not long after I'd been here, I met this guy. He was quite a bit older than me. And a few years ago, I went to lunch with him. And he wanted to tell me a story about something that happened at Northeast. You see, he came to Northeast with a family that had been uh, part of a church plant, and the church plant closed. That's not uncommon. In fact, more church plants will close than those that will continue and become uh, thriving churches. This family came with my friend. His kids are older, but they had younger kids. And when they walked in the door, they were greeted by one of our greeters. And she asked them about children's ministry. And then she said, let me take you over there and get you checked in. My friend said that that greeter just blew them away by just her friendliness and her helpfulness. It made them feel so valued that they kept coming back. And before long, they made Northeast their church home. That story would be good enough just that way. But that there is a backstory to this that most of you probably don't know. What we didn't know at the time was that family had just left that church plant that had closed down. In fact, that Sunday they were here for the first time was the first Sunday following the last Sunday of their previous church ministry. This specific Sunday was a Sunday where they said, hey, we're just trying to find a place to land. That family was David and Michelle Green and their kids, Christian, Sophie, and Bella. They were looking for a church where they could just attend for a while and heal from the wounds of the previous ministry. They loved those people, but it was really, really difficult. David shared about this story from this platform in the past, just about how much that greeter and the children's ministry team made such a profound impact on them. And it was one of the key reasons why they continued to attend Northeast. If loving others 
is the best is best seen by serving them, then let's serve as many people as we can. I want to suggest a simple formula on how to get in the game, and then I'll close. The first thing I want to challenge everyone in this room to do is to pray. Jesus gave that directive. His his disciples were paired off in twos, and they were going to go out, and they were going to go visit all these communities that Jesus was going to eventually go to to preach. And he gives this this direction, this kind, of, this kind of encouragement or admonition to them. In Luke the 10th chapter, verse 2, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus is saying it. I'm going to echo it. Pray for God to raise up servants. Now, you might, you might be praying about yourself. You're not, you're not part of that initiative. Or maybe you are serving somewhere, and you say, hey, Lord, please, we got so many places that people could serve. You're just praying so that we're prepared to be a part of the harvest when it comes. So pray. Number two, sign up. It's organized around here. You have to be organized because we need to know whether or not we can count on folks and who's going to be where when that comes. And you'll see in just a moment why that's so significant. But everyone is needed. So sign up to get in the game. Sign up so that we can count on you. In Isaiah the sixth chapter, verse eight, the prophet Isaiah writes this. He said, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Isaiah that day, he's listening to God, the voice of God. Can you imagine what would be going through your heart and your mind if that was you? But he has the sense, the the wherewithal with him to actually answer God. But I'm sure it wasn't a hard answer. God is saying, I need somebody. I need somebody. And Isaiah goes, well, since I'm the only one here, I guess... I'll go, you know. And I'm sure, I wonder if later he said, what was I thinking? But he volunteers, he volunteers. You know why he volunteered? Because God was asking the question, and he was the guy present. And I know he was the answer to God's question that day. And I wonder if maybe, as I ask the question today, that you're maybe the answer to the question that God wants you to answer. So, You've heard the old saying, many hands lighten the load. It just simply means that a difficult task can become easy if enough people rally around it. It's so true when everyone helps out, then expanding the kingdom of heaven becomes much more efficient and effective. Never think that this church doesn't need you. Don't think that for one second. So how do you get signed up? There's two ways. The first is this. Go to ncclex.info. Click on the, the serve button. You'll see all the different opportunities to serve. And what I want to encourage you to do is pick one of those or pick a couple of them and then fill out the form, send it in. Somebody will follow up with you from the Next Step team. All right? Some of you go, I, I'm not, I don't do well on my phone. My fingers are too big. I, you know, all, you know, there's all kinds of reasons. I hate technology. Uh, we, uh, yeah, I hate it too. So if, the, if you're that person, there are tables in the lobby. 
staffed by people who would love to talk to you about all the different areas in their ministry that you could sign up and get plugged into. Please know this. You're not signing up forever. Some of you go, I'm not signing up because I know how they do that. They, once they get my name on a line, I am going to be in the third grade class the rest of my life until I die. You know, and the truth is, that's not going to happen. We're going to, what we're going to do is we're doing this for six months, just a season. And then in August, we're going to, we're going to do a reenlistment uh, campaign. And we'll make you feel really guilty at that point. But up until then, I'm kidding. Guilt's a terrible, it's effective motivator, but it's a terrible motivator, okay? We're not, we, we want, obviously, we want people who will serve in those areas and love those kids and be, be a happy greeter in those spots. But just know, it's not forever. It's not forever. We want you to test drive it, give it a chance. You're gonna change people's lives over there. Wherever it is you decide to serve, you're gonna make a difference. Don't lose sight of that. The last thing I want to tell you, uh, there's two more things about it. Number two, number three, start serving. Start serving. So you pray, you sign up, and you get started. When I was the young adults minister a number of years ago, I loved it. It was awesome. I worked with, uh, I got out of youth ministry and got to do adult ministry. It was like being let out of prison. I loved it. And uh, we're going to introduce our new youth minister in a minute. You know, I'm so glad he's here. But the truth is, I got to work with people 18 to 35. And one of the things we did uh, several times was we went whitewater rafting. And the first time we went, I'd never been before. I didn't even know anything about it, right? And so we go. There's about 50 or 60 of us. And we go through this little training, kind of common sense training. And then they, uh, they give us a life jacket and tell us how to put it on. You know, three buckles, man, that was really testing me. But I guess the guy was from Tennessee, so he was having trouble. You know, we'll do it like, I know, I'm sorry. Anyway, the, uh, then they give, us, they give us an oar. They go, here's your oar. You're going to need that. And they teach us two other things, how to row and how to, how to fall out appropriately. Because if you get knocked out of your boat, you're going to want to know how to do that. And I thought, this is easy. Then they put us in groups of six, assigned us to a boat, and we went off whitewater rafting for about, I don't know, three or four hours. It was awesome. It was really, really awesome. And as I was thinking about this, this uh, series, it's kind of like ministry, really. I mean, think about these areas that we've been talking about. It's not complicated, right? These are easy things to do. It's kind of like whitewater rafting. They just give you an oar and go, here's your boat, get in it, and just start rowing. That's it. Pick up an oar and row. It's so simple. And here's why it's important to fill these spots. Do you know that 30% of our average attendance is over here in these two floors, the first and second floor? 30% is our children's ministry, birth through fifth grade. That's, that's a lot of kids. That is a lot of kids. That's pretty high, actually. And do you know that our guest services people out there do you know that research shows that people who visit a church will decide whether they're going to come back to that church before the worship service starts? Did you know that? The experience that they have before they actually get in here will determine. And the, the people who have some of the most significant influence are happy and helpful greeters, they tell us. You can make a huge difference. Guest services is an opportunity to help create a welcoming environment that communicates to people who walk through these doors that they matter. 
I ran into one of our, our uh, door greeters. He's on the outside, and he came in, and he was freezing. He's got his jacket on. He, I shook his hand. He's got his gloves on. He said, I'm leaving it on during the whole service. <laughs> so if you're sitting next to a dude in a dark jacket, you know he's been serving, so love on him a little bit, okay? I also want you to recognize the fact that when a parent leaves their son or daughter in one of our clean, safe, and well-staffed children's ministry areas, you've just freed them up to be able to come in here and to worship and potentially have an encounter with God. And I don't know if you know this, but for some of you, you may have just been the first step in helping that person come to know Christ. Maybe it was you were friendly with them as they were checking their kids in, or maybe you held a door open for them and you smiled and said, it's so good to have you here. And they came in and they thought, maybe these people do care about me. These service opportunities that almost everyone can do, and yet they can have a significant impact on people who attend this church. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that you can have a significant impact in somebody's life for all eternity. Number four, keep doing good to see the harvest. Keep doing good to see the harvest. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Paul's point here is simple. Keep at it, because when the right time happens, there is going to be a harvest And when all of us do our part in the body of Christ, we will see others come to follow Jesus. So don't quit. Don't give up. Some of you are on the cusp of that. You're like, man, I'm I'm, I'm tired of doing that. I want you to think about it before you do. Let me close with this. Alfred Nobel is famous, not because he was a Swedish chemist. He is best known because he's the guy that actually established the Nobel Prizes. Now, there's a lot of speculation behind why Albert Nobel actually established these prizes that bear his name. He was a very reserved individual. He didn't talk a lot to many people. And he didn't confide in anyone about his decision to take his vast fortune and establish these Nobel Prizes just a few months prior to his death. But there are those who believe that this bizarre event that happened in 1888 actually triggered this personal period of reflection that led him to leave his vast fortune to establish the prizes. In 1888, Alfred's brother, Ludwig, died while he was in France. The French newspapers reported Ludwig's death, but they they got confused. They thought it was actually Alfred Nobel And one of the papers ran this headline, The Merchant of Death is Dead. That bothered Alfred Nobel. The headline was a reference to the fact that he'd invented dynamite. That's where his fortune came from. And several other very powerful explosives. Perhaps, some think, Alfred Nobel established the Nobel Prizes to avoid being remembered as the Merchant of Death. Alfred was given a unique look at his life through the eyes of those who were writing these obituaries who didn't know it was his brother. They thought it was him. 
And maybe, just maybe, he didn't like what they were writing. The new perspective may have changed how he saw his life, and the result was that he, he changed the direction and his actions. So at the end of his life, they would write a much different story. I'm here to tell you it's never too late to start doing the right thing. You can, you can do the same thing if you don't like the way your life is headed. So set a goal that you're gonna love somebody every day. Set a goal to love others by serving them. Unite with others around here and say, hey, let's do this. Let's do this as the body of Christ to make a difference, an eternal difference in the lives of people. I encourage you to sign up today. I hope you will. And the need is certainly there. The life we live is the story that we write. So, in closing, decide to write a story that looks like Jesus. Decide to write a story that looks like Jesus. I don't think you'll ever regret that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your love for us. As we celebrated communion, it was not lost on me. The high price that you paid so that we might be saved, that we might have at least the option. No one forced us. We were given the option to follow you, to be, to be a child of yours, a disciple of yours, part of your family, and someone who you would call us to, a high calling, that we would live our lives worthy of. Lord, I remember someone saying years ago, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And Lord, we have a truth about you that the world needs to know. They need to know how much you love them and everything that you did for them so that they might have a relationship with you and have their sins forgiven and have the chance to spend eternity with you in heaven. And not just them, but their family and their, their friends and their coworkers. But God, if they, don't, if they don't know how much we care, then they're not gonna give us time to know how much we know. And we have, we have a great message to share with them. So will you help us to love them in a tangible way? Not just with words, but with deeds. Help us to love them by serving them. Lord, will you please stir in every heart that's here today so that we realize every part of the body matters. Every person has a role. You've penciled us all in to serve. So God, help us. I pray that we'll sign up. God, we thank you for giving us a chance to be part of somebody's relationship with you. God, we praise you for what you're gonna do through this service as people sign up and serve. We thank you in Jesus' name.